All right, first thing I wanted to do is to see, let's try this in here. See if anybody had anything, any questions or comments from our time uh, so far in Romans. Has anything come up as, as you guys have been talking about the word in home group or just together or just in your own personal study? Any, uh, th- there's, there are some head-scratching verses in Romans, um, but there's also some really awesome stuff. So I wanted to give opportunity if anyone had either questions or like, whoa, look at this. Um, anybody have anything that you'd like to, that you'd like to share? Thank you, guys. Oh, that's easy. I'm used to the one out at JCF, which like falls apart every time you look at it. Oh. We have the technology. Perfect. Anybody? You are allowed to share, and please do. <laughs> And um, Billy was just kind of encouraging us to not pick apart every little verse Mm -hmm. because they can get really, like, confusing if you really dig into one verse. What does that mean? And a lot of people look at each individual verse like, that's a doctrine, that's a doctrine. Mm -hmm. And um, he was really encouraging us not to get lost in those little things, but to just read it as a whole. Yes. see that Paul is speaking one truth. It's not a bunch of little truths, so they're not separate things or contradictory, but that it's all going along with the one truth. So yeah. That was good for me because I think I always have kind of got like, kind of lost in the details. Of it, so. Yeah, and there's so many memorable, I think I mentioned this last week, there's so many memorable like, one-liners in Romans, and we, we know a lot of verses from Romans, but I don't know if we know Romans, you know? And, and so it, it, I've really enjoyed this study of Romans. It, it's... I've learned some new stuff, um, some deeper stuff, and it's been very encouraging to me. Um, anyone else just want to say me too to that? No. All, right. All right. Well, I want to start, and this, is, this will help. This helps me think about Romans and the whole thing that Paul's doing. Um, some of you have seen this maybe as part of Chad's Foundations class. That, that's all right. Um, but I think this is from Deverne Fromke. So he, he sees um, kind of the Christian, the purpose of God in, in this way, where here's creation. You know, God creates man in his image to, re, you know, reflect his glory, to 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 be his, to, to bear his image, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth with more like, more like that. And that was kind of going on for a little bit, and then man fell, right? And so I'm a horrible artist, so I'll just do some frowny face. Man fell, all right, and God, God knew that this was a possibility, so he had arranged ahead of time to, you know, should man fall, here's what we're going to do to get them back. And so he had a plan all along, and he worked it. He, you know, the whole Old Testament is the unfolding of that plan. And what redemption does, salvation, the cross, it brings us back to where we should have been going, right? This progression, just increasing in the glory of God, growing in the knowledge of him, growing in Christ-likeness, growing in, in partaking of the divine nature, as Peter would say. Um, so now we're back, and we can continue on this path. Um, and Romans tells about this. Romans 5 through 8 is, is a lot about this, okay? How we fell, and God got us back. But the backdrop of, of what Paul is talking about is this whole... This whole story of creation, fall, new creation, back on track, and now glory of God is ahead of us. Okay? And it's, it's easy to get focused on, in, in your personal life, it's easy to get focused on what is my standing before God? What, you know, am I saved or not? When, and then if you, if you bring that to Scripture, and if you demand of Scripture, give me assurance that I'm saved. Help me feel better about 
my status, my guilt, or whatever. You're going to end up twisting scripture. You're going to end up latching on to one-liners and, and little verses rather than seeing this. Right? And it's so easy to fall into this trap of individualistic that, that I am my own, I am my, the, the, my frame of reference. Me and my life. Me and my salvation. Um, and if you bring that to Romans, you'll get lost in the weeds. Big time. And you'll get confused. And you'll be doing what you don't want to do. And the thing that you want to do, you won't do. And, and all that stuff. But then you'll be flying high with the Spirit. And then not. And the, you know, it, it will just, it will, it'll mess you up. So... This helps. When we talk about redemption, you know, you don't want to diminish. I mean, this is, this is crucial, right? This is the truth of the gospel. But God's purpose was more than his recovery program for us. It always has been. He didn't create us so that he could have a recovery program. He created us so that, he, that we would glorify him and that he would be fruitful and multiply. And that the image of God would, would spread and that he would have this relationship with his sons and daughters in which they were growing and multiplying and God was just increasing. And the love, right, when, when God created mankind, it was out of love. He said, let us create man in our image. Okay, that's plural. That's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together in perfect love, perfect unity, saying more. More of this. And that's what we were created for. So the recovery program is important, obviously. But how much more important is the original intention, right? The, the, the grand purpose of God that started before sin and continues way after the end of time, okay? Uh, so that helps me think about it. Um, there's... There's one way of looking at the story where you focus on that, that fall to redemption, but then if you zoom out and see all the way before and all the way after, um, it helps, helps a lot. And so my prayer in these days, as I said last week, is for us to be captured with, what is this purpose? What is this purpose? And, and thank God that he's got us back on track, but so what? <laughs> what are we back on track to do? And Romans 12 through 16 will give us that really well, uh, and, and several of other Paul's letters. So let's, let's review real quick the four big chapters of Old Testament, okay? And we'll talk a little bit about them. You can't do this enough when you're reading Romans, okay? This might get tedious to you, but it should not. Every time I think through, all right, Adam, Abraham, Moses, David, I read Romans better. So Adam, anytime we're talking about creation, Creation of the world, um, man, mankind, humanity, the image of God, the glory of God. When you see the glory of God a lot of times in Paul, he's talking about image bearing, bearing the image of God, reflecting, not like a mirror, but, but refracting the image of God. Abraham, okay, Abraham walked with God in Faith. So anytime we're talking about faith, this is the pattern. Now, faith is definitely more than intellectual belief. Okay? Um, I'll say a little bit more about that in a second. Family, offspring, descendants. This is Abraham territory. Promise. Circumcision was given to Abraham. That was pre-Moses. Inheritance. Heirs. This is, this is uh, the promise to Abraham. Now Moses, and I made a glaring omission last week when I was talking about Moses. Because I, I mentioned that it was the Torah, the written law of God, the code. But also, anytime there is language that has to do with slavery, bondage, deliverance, we're talking about that Moses chapter. God brought his people out of slavery he set them free. Redemption. That's, a, that's an Exodus term. So, Torah and Exodus. And I can't believe that I left that out because that is, <laughs> talk about the recovery program, that is the pattern for, for the recovery program. 
We are in bondage. God comes, and we're in bondage to something greater than us. And this is really important in Romans 5 through 8, obviously. Slavery, freedom. Uh, we're in bondage to someone greater than us. Pharaoh is a type of sin or Satan. Okay, God comes and he, he destroys the power of Pharaoh. Buries it in the water. Baptism, right? So all of that language, we cannot read Romans 5 through 8 without remembering that aspect of the Moses uh, chapter. And then David, uh, is he's the anointed one, the Messiah. He is the man, the representative of the nation, through whom the nation receives blessing, and through whom the nations will receive blessing once the law of God is lived out. Uh, when, when, the, when the king is on the throne, delivering the law to the people, then the world will be blessed. And that king will be the king of all kings. So Messiah, Christ, kingdom, reign, uh, and, and so on. So Romans, let's, let's buzz through the outline of Romans again. And again, I, we can't do this enough. Big picture, big picture, big picture. Romans is all about big picture. One through four is about how, God, how, how the gospel reveals God's covenant faithfulness, his righteousness. He has held up his end of the bargain. And Israel didn't. God did. And it didn't matter what Israel did. He was faithful to his covenant. And he's dealt in, in two ways. Right? He chose Abraham for a couple reasons. To bless him, to make him a blessing. And that included... Um, that included dealing with sin. Okay, so when God chose Abraham, one of the reasons he needed to choose a family was so that he could deal with sin. And we'll talk about that when we get to chapter 7 and, and the beginning of chapter 8. And also creating a worldwide family. In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Five through eight have to do with the fact that now the worldwide family, this, this true family of Abraham, is the true Israel. That Israel, according to the flesh, is no more. Uh, and there is a new thing happening. And it's the worldwide family, which includes faithful Jews and Gentiles. But it's all under Christ now. And so the worldwide family is the true Israel and is therefore the true humanity. There's a new mankind in Christ. And therefore, by the Spirit, this new mankind, the people who are in Christ, are the people in whom all the purposes of God for the human race are being fulfilled. All these things that God wanted humans to do and be and reflect, that we that we uh, got off track, now in Christ we can continue to do that. Okay. 9 through 11 have to do with, so what about Israel? What then of, of this long history of Israel according to the flesh? What's the deal? And then 12 through 16 are how the church must now live as this new mankind. Now, this new humanity. And in, in united in our, in our fellowship with each other, and in our mission. Okay. So, let's go to chapter 5. So, therefore, and what's, what, what is therefore what? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, since... We are part of God's family because of his faithfulness to Abraham and his unswerving uh, righteousness. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And that is more along the lines of unity. And if you know anything about uh, the cry and the hope of Israel, it's for shalom, peace. We have been justified 
through faith. Therefore, we have peace with God. Shalom is now. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have access by faith into this grace. Listen, we are now under grace. We have grace. And we rejoice because of this grace. What can it do? The glory of God. Grace can now make us this original and even greater, actually, as we'll see in in chapter 5. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. So guess what? We are now not living to what happens to us. We rejoice in our sufferings, right? And if you're speaking to Israel in the first century, you're speaking to a people with a long history of sufferings and exile and failure. Now we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. So we're shifting from faith. Now, we need to live by faith. Therefore, since we have faith, and this is what marked Abraham, and this is what marks all the the true people of God, guess what? We have hope. So we're moving from faith to hope. Hope, why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Do you know the greatest commandment from Deuteronomy 6? Tony? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is Lord alone. It's only Him. You will love Him. And guess what? God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Guess what, Jew? Hear, O Israel. Hear, this is a, that's faith. Hear, O Israel. Listen and do. That's what faith is. Hear and do. Hear, O Israel. Love God. So do you see this? Faith. Listen. Now, you, can, you are loving God. Guess what? By the Holy Spirit. So this greatest commandment, the fullness of what makes you an Israelite, that you love the true God with your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, it's, that's been poured into your hearts by the Holy Spirit. That love... And there's some, there's some discussion whether it's like God's love for us or our love for God. I don't know if that's important to work out. Because God's love for you, as we see in uh, the rest of this section, God's love for you becomes your love for God. Okay? God's love has been poured into, it's, it's, in Greek it's the love of God, has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Whoa. You can love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Why? Because he died for you while you were still a sinner. You want to know what love is? That's what love is. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Guess what? The judgment is coming, right? Chapters 1 and 2 say judgment is coming, and everyone's going to receive judgment according to what they've done in the flesh. All are going to give an account. God's going to judge the secrets of man by Jesus Christ. That's what he says, according to my gospel. We will be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So listen, you do not have to worry about 
the wrath of God if you are in Christ. If you understand that, Christ, that he already died for you while you were a sinner, what are, you, what are you worried about at the last day? Live in that love. You don't have anything to worry about. Live in that love. Receive that love. Walk according to that love and nothing else, and you have nothing to worry about on the last day. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Now we get into a, a sticky part here. Not sticky, dense. That's a, that's a better word for it. Um, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, put a little marker there, and then put a little marker at the end of verse 17. Because 13 through 17 are all a parenthesis. Okay? So death spread to, men, to all men because all sinned. And then it picks up back in verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification. Now, in between there, we have a couple things. Verse 13, for sin was indeed in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression. Adam sinned, and he brought, what did Genesis 3 say? If you eat of this, you will surely die. So Adam sinned, so death came into the world, right? Mortality. Our life now ends. And that's how we are in Adam, right? We will die. We are all finite. We are mortal. Now, sin was indeed in the world before the law was given. So, sin came into the world right, right with Adam. And death reigned from Adam to Moses. So guess what? Death, death now through Adam's sin is the inheritance we have from Adam. Death. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Okay, so Adam's sin brought death into the world. We now partake of that death. Um, now, we're not guilty for Adam's sin. We're guilty for our own sins. But we will die because Adam's sin brought death into the world to the human race. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So guess what? This sin that brought death into the world, we now have a free gift. Um, that brings so it's, it's much more and you'll, you'll, you'll keep hearing him say this much more do we have Jesus why? because Adam was a glorious man he was, he was not fallen yet and then death came and now we all die now Jesus comes in the likeness of sinful flesh he, he, he didn't sin but he was in a mortal body, right? And he, through his death, rights Adam's wrong and then also does away with death. So the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, death reigned, okay, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So, he did away with the reign of death, and then brings us back to this, and now we are going to reign because of Christ. So he's saying, Adam, 
the consequences of Adam's fall are far outweighed by the consequences of Jesus' righteousness. Okay? And not only, it, it brings the balance all the way back. Okay? So, in other words, he brings us here and onward. That's what Christ's obedience does. Doesn't just get us back to where Adam was before. We're going even beyond that because of Jesus' righteousness. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Um, Now, the law came in to increase the trespass. Now, this can be confusing. Wait, how did the law increase the trespass? Well, it shined a light on it, okay? Because from Adam to Moses said death reigned, sin was a little ambiguous, right? This is why we have even some of the patriarchs doing some strange things, (laughs) Morally, morally questionable things. Well, guess what? They were, they were in sin, yes, but the law was not given. Okay, God was going to come in. He still had one big chapter to do before he started to reveal how he was going to deal with sin. Now, the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, so the law came in, and then sin just became all the more visible. Oh, you mean... We're not even supposed to get divorced. Uh, we're supposed to be faithful to one wife. We're supposed to not kill. We're supposed to all this stuff. The law was a good thing. The law was a, a, a shadow of the glory of God. The law described what it would look like to live as the glorious people of God here and now. All right, here's what it would look like. Now, it was never capable to make people into that kind of people. It was simply describing, here's what it looks like. Sin, the law came in to increase sin, to shine a light on it. And where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Meaning God was sticking with his people. He needed to do this thing. He needed to to give the law, and he needed to reveal sin, shine a light on it. But guess what? His grace just kept going. He was not done with his people. So that as sin reigned in death... Grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay, so, so the law came in to increase sin. So that's chapter 5, and it really sets up 6, 7, and 8. Okay, because we're going to get back to this idea at the end of chapter 7, in the beginning of chapter 8. So what about the law? What, what's the deal with the law? Chapter 6 is about how we go from being part of this fallen humanity, part of Adam, to being now in Christ. Okay, we are in Adam, and guess what? We will die, and also sin has mastery over us. But guess what? Jesus Christ undid the power of sin and its consequence, death. So both death and sin are dealt with in Jesus, okay? If we are buried in baptism and raised, if we are reborn into, a, into the new humanity, okay? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So if God, when he shines a light on sin, just keeps pouring on the grace, do we keep sinning? No, that's stupid, <laughs> And the, the phrase here is very polite in English, in the English standard version, by no means. But it's like, definitely not. God forbid. Okay? Like, absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Um, <laughs> uh, let's see. How can we who died to sin still live in it Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? So, listen, you were, your sin, your flesh, that was all buried in the water. You're dead to that. Just as Christ, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. 
So, if we come to Jesus and are baptized, buried, and our old man is killed, then we are raised to walk after the new pattern, the new man. This is Jesus now. We were supposed to be like Adam. That didn't work. Now, we don't just get back to Adam, but we get back to this new man, the Son of God, made flesh. Um, okay, for the one who has died has been set free from sin. So you're not in, you've been delivered from the power of sin. It had mastery over you, not anymore. Guess what? Death doesn't even have mastery over you anymore. Now we have died, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves, reckon, the King James, yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You aren't in this sphere anymore. You're not in the old humanity anymore. You are now in the new humanity. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. God's broken the power. It used to be more powerful than you. It is not anymore. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you. Be fruitful, multiply, take dominion. Well, sin got dominion over us. And after that, death got dominion over us. Christ has undone the dominion of sin and the dominion of death. Why? So that now we can take dominion and bear the image of God uh, wherever we go. Since you are not under law, but under grace. Guess what? The law, the law wasn't the answer. The law was there to show sin for what it was. To say, this is what sin is. This is what God wants. This is what he does not want. Now, every mouth is stopped. What then? Are we to sin? <laughs> because we are not under law, but under grace? By no means. Guess what? The law, it's the, it's the exact opposite. If you were trying not to sin because of the law, you were going to fail. Now you have grace. What is grace? The ability now not to sin. So you don't have to sin. Grace is not an excuse for sin. Grace is the way out of sin. By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. Now, I'm speaking in human terms, right? Because what's he talking about? Slaves of righteousness. Well, guess what that means? The glory of God in your life. And the human terms is, we are now in bondage to righteousness, which is a very ironic way of saying, we are now radiating with the glory of God. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. Now, we saw this back in chapter 1. God gave them over to passions, right? And they just, whatever you want, you do. That's the, that's the reign of sin. Guess what? You're not, you're not subject to that anymore. When you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard, in regard to righteousness, but what fruit were you getting at the time what were you getting at that time? For the end of those things is death, but now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. And the fruit you get is sanctification and its end, eternal life. Right? The fruit you get for just all this. Gorging yourself with your passions is death. And the fruit you get for making yourself a slave to God is glory, immense glory. 
For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You cannot, you cannot overcome sin, but if you are under grace, you overcome sin. So, chapter 7 is about being released from the law. Um, and there's a couple things here we need to keep in mind. Um, he's talking about going out of the legacy of Adam into uh, the dominion of Christ. And so just really quickly, he says, there's been a death. You're no longer bound to the law. You can now be bound to another husband. You've died to the law through the body of Christ. So that now you can basically live what the law was always trying to do, but it couldn't do. But now you can do it. We are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. This is verse 6. So that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, and not in the old way of the letter or the written code. So we don't relate now to regulations. We are filled with the very life that's living what the law is trying to do. And it's it's an empowering thing. It's not from the outside. It's from the Spirit. So what should we say then? Is the law sin? And this is the big question. Is the, so what, what, what's, what's with the law? If it's incapable of bringing about what God wants, is it bad? Is it sin? Definitely not, <laughs> he says. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. So sin was there again, to make sin known to be sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity, now this is, this is Satan language, he's an opportunist, right? When he had finished tempting Jesus, he departed until an opportune time. Okay? Sin, seizing an opportunity, through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. And I want you to see that sin in this section is a very active and malicious force, the way it's described. Sin. It's almost as if it's Satan. Okay? Because the language is used, what did, what did the serpent do in the garden? Hey, Eve, what did God say? That sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment to produce an evil desire. That's what this is... But guess what? We're, that's, that's the old Adam. As we're talking about the old Adam here. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life, which is what the law says. If you live this way, it's life. Over and over, when there's blessings for you, if you do this, there are curses for you if you don't. All through the Torah. This brings life to you. It proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So it created the lack of faith. Oh, well, this commandment means that God doesn't love you. That's really what he was telling you. This commandment means that God is enjoying something that he wants to reserve for himself. This commandment means fill in the blank. And that's how sin works. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. So did the law bring death to me, that which is good? Definitely not. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Now listen, this is, we'll get to chapter 8. But here here he says, um, at the beginning of chapter 7, he says, brothers, do you not know brothers for I am speaking to those who know the law? So he says, guys, I know your plight. Okay? I am a Pharisee. I have the law. I love the law. I give my life to do the law. But let me, let me tell you something. That law cannot get you 
where Jesus can get you. Okay? But it's not bad. It doesn't mean it's bad. And so he's saying, brothers. And so this part where he starts going, all right, I desire to do the right thing, but I can't do it. He's talking about, he's talking to his brothers. The people who lived in that zeal, like him. But it was never going to produce the kind of righteousness that God was looking for. Now we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. So he is taking the persona of someone who is zealously trying to keep the law. But it's not going to work, ultimately. So when he says, I do what I do not do, I do... Um, for the, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Um, and that's a throwback to, to the story of Cain, right? You remember when he says, uh, Cain, if you do well, it'll go well with you. But if you do evil, sin is crouching at the door. So he says, when I try to do good, sin's crouching at the door. And it says, and, and, and it, its desire is for me, but you must rule over it. But you can't until Jesus comes. So I delight in the law of God. Wow, this, what a great life. This commandment is great. I can't do it. And so his, he's saying... Listen, under the law, this is, this is as far as you get. Man, this is a good thing. I wish I could do it. And that is the body of death, he says. That's what's being, that's what's, that's, what, that's Adam. That's the, that's the line of Adam. I delight in the law of God, but in my members another law is waging war. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now, we can't end it there. We have to keep going in chapter 8. This section does not end until uh, verse 11 of chapter 8. So don't read chapter 7 apart. You've got to go to 8.11. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now the flesh here... It means a lot of things, but it means mortality and inclination to do wrong. Sinful inclination, propensity to sin. Okay? That's flesh. You, that's what we inherit from Adam. That this death and this inclination to do wrong. And God has destroyed that. Now this is important that he says that God condemned sin in the flesh in killing Jesus. Because the law came, why? So that sin would increase. And who's the most sinful then in the eyes of God? The people who have the law and can't do it. And that's Israel. So what God was doing, and and try and follow this. This is incredible. What God was doing, he, he chose Abraham. He said, this is what I want to do. I want to bless you, make you a great nation, so that all in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. What was the final test of Abraham's faith? Yes. And then how did God bring him through that? He provided a sacrifice. There's something deep in that. That, that, that God was saying, look, this, this should tell you something about how I am going to deal with the sin of the world through you and your family. Because right? part of the blessing of the world was to turn them from their sin, to help deal with their sin. Now, this is the part that Israel forgot. They didn't, they didn't hold up to this. They thought that they were chosen to be the, the elite people in the earth. No, they were chosen to redeem the world, 
Now, how does God redeem? By sending his own son. So here's what was happening. He chose Abraham, told him what he was going to do. God had all along, he knew that he was going to send his son. This was the plan. This, he knew the lamb was slain from before the foundation of the world. God knew what he was going to do. And so he let sin increase. In fact, he sent the law so that sin would increase even more among his own people. And then he gave the covenant of David saying, listen, I'm going to put an anointed one at the head of my people who's a representative of everything I love. Now this is Messiah. Now Jesus comes and he's the fulfillment to Abraham, the fulfillment to Moses, of everything the law was pointing to, and the fulfillment of the king. So he is, in one man, all of what Israel was supposed to do and be. And the sacrifice for the sins of the world. God put all of the sin, he heaped it on his people. You see that? He gave them the law so that all the sin, that they would become sinful beyond measure. So that in that one man, in that one representative, Messiah, he could condemn sin in the flesh. So God gathered all sin and focused it like a laser beam in Jesus and then condemned all sin in the flesh. Isn't that amazing? Do you see how, God, how the, the long picture of that? God was always going to provide a sacrifice. So this is, this is what he's talking about. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Was the law good? Yes. The law describes the society of God that brings life into the world. But there was a key element missing. Okay? And it's the key element that Jesus comes to bring. So Abraham was chosen to bless the world, but also to deal with all the sin that was in the world from Adam to Moses. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Even in your mortal bodies, these things that are full of desires, even there the spirit can bring life. Because God God in Jesus has, has redeemed all of it, has redone all of it. So we're debtors, not to the flesh, but to the Spirit. Um, Chapter 8 ends, and we may come back here uh, a little bit, but chapter 8 ends talking about the glory of God. How now that this new Adam, that we are in this new kind of, of human, we're part of this new humanity, guess what? We ourselves, we're groaning. Creation's been groaning. The Spirit itself is groaning. What? That this would happen in God's children. That, that Christ would be born in, in God's people. Creation itself, he says, uh, creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. So this whole thing, we're still back with Adam. All of this, Jesus Christ has totally gone back to the absolute root of all of this. And now, even the very world that we walk in, even the very mortal bodies that we inhabit, we can now bring the glory of God there. The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Man, 
not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit. Right? We just have a little taste now by the Holy Spirit. We've only begun. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Um, okay, so then it says, We know that, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Do you, do you understand what that means now? God had it the whole time. He was doing one thing the whole time. And that was bringing it all to Jesus, bringing it all to Christ. So that in Christ, he could deal with all the sins of the world and so that he could have this new family to do what Adam was always supposed to do. Okay? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be firstborn among many brothers. That's awesome. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This whole thing, this whole process, is all about God's purpose moving forward. No matter how deep this got, God had it all along. And he was going to redeem us back to himself. And... um, so at the end of chapter 11, he keeps talking about this. And it's like, well, so then what was all the stuff with Israel? And it's still highly significant. And we'll talk about that a little bit next week. But at the end, he goes, who can know the mind of the Lord as to instruct it? How inscrutable are his ways? And uh, so as I'm reading this, it's like, how in the world? I mean, to even try and figure out, wait a minute, so... When he created mankind, he had this plan in mind all along. That's unbelievable. He knew that he was going to, that he was going to send his son and that, to, that he was going to bring all things together in, in Jesus. And, and then the Old Testament is just the story of this plan slowly being, this mystery slowly being revealed. And finally in the New Testament, it's revealed fully. And Paul, this is what Paul saw. And this is what he was trying to tell uh, these people. All right, so I think, uh, you know, (laughs) there couldn't be any better call to communion than to say, you know, behold, the Lamb of God. You know, in this body and blood, what are we declaring? We are declaring that God became flesh. And dwelt among us. And that as a man, uh, he poured out his life in obedience to the Father. So that we could be redeemed. And I hope that means something more to you, even after our, you know, our little time in the Word over these past few weeks. I hope that means something more to you. You have been redeemed. You can now reflect God's glory in the way that he originally intended. And it's all because it, it, that all happens as we seek Jesus, partake of Jesus, are filled with his Holy Spirit. And so here we're, we are, we're proclaiming the Lord's death. We're proclaiming that, that in this broken body and poured out blood, sin has been condemned in the flesh. We're also proclaiming in this body and blood that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, and by his blood we have been brought into the family. We have been justified. We have peace with God. Um, And we can go on and on about what this means to take communion every week. Um, That we we are now no longer under the dominion of sin. Uh, But because of this act of sacrifice, sin's dominion over us has been broken. And, And death itself no longer has dominion over us because it has been broken. Uh, Every consequence of sin has been defeated. Uh, And every uh, every glorious intention of God is now possible by the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so 
Let's just take some time and, and, and reflect on that. Uh, maybe the Holy Spirit wants to say something to you in particular, to put his finger on something and say that I have dealt with that thing in your life, and it will no longer have dominion over you, and because of that, you will glorify me in that thing. It will not hinder you. It will not deceive you. It will not seize an opportunity through the commandment and kill you anymore. Whether that's some passion that you struggle with, that you, some, some desire of the flesh that you struggle with, or whether that's a, a doubt of the love of God for you, or a doubt of your, uh, your uh, place here among the, the, the people of God. God has dealt with every bit of that. And so let me just read. What shall we say to these things? God is for us. Who can be against us? If it's God working the plan, guess which plan is going <laughs> to succeed? If God is for us, who can be against us? Because why? He who did not spare his own son. He'll go to that length to fulfill his promise. You cannot out-doubt God's faithfulness to his promise. He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us. How will he also not with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Is God who justifies? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Holy Spirit, come and make, make that love real to us. Um, the depth of it, the sufficiency of it, the glory of it. Uh, and as we come and partake of your body and your blood, I pray that you would fill us with a, uh, a deeper sense of the glory uh, that is on our lives and the hope that we have because of the love of Jesus. Lord, speak these things to our hearts. These are, these are truths that shake uh, the very fabric of creation. And so, Lord, we need your help to come and speak them to our heart, to, to show us the meaning of these things, to, to, to open the eyes of our hearts, God, and show us the hope to which you have called us. God, I pray that our lives would revolve around this, that our lives would be uh, just a minute-to-minute uh, sacrifice, Lord, as we, as we read in chapter 12, a living sacrifice uh, because of how good and how gracious and how uh, powerful and wise and faithful and righteous you are. You deserve so much praise, God. And so we come humbly to your table. And we confess our need for you. We confess that in Jesus we have everything. And that there is nothing uh, that can separate us from, uh, from your love. And if that's your confession, if, if you say that there is nothing but Jesus that is good about you, um, come and partake of this.